page 999, Revelation 8. And we're going to read through 9, 8 and 9, and then we're going to skip over to 1115. All right, so we're reading about the seven trumpets, the seven trumpets. You remember uh, the Lamb of God was opening the seals, and we got six seals done, and now we're to the seventh seal, and that's how chapter 8 begins. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel with a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets made ready to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there came hail and fire mixed with blood and they were hurled to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and then he died from the water because it was made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so a third of their light was darkened. A third of the day was kept from shining, and likewise the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew in mid-heaven, Woe! Woe! Woe to the inhabitants of the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of a bottomless pit, and he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given authority like the authority of scorpions. They were told not to damage the grass of the earth or any green grass or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torture them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torture was like the torture of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses equipped for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were human faces, their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth, they had scales like iron breastplates, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots rushing into battle. 
They have tails like scorpions with stingers. And in their tails is the power to harm people for five months. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. There are still two woes to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels were released, who had been held ready for the hour, the day, the month, and the year to kill a third of humankind. The number of the troops of cavalry was 200 million. I heard their number. This was how I saw the horses in my vision. The riders wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. The heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of humankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. Their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they inflict harm. The rest of humankind, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, or give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, and they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their fornication or their thefts. And now to 11.15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, singing, We give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, who are and who were, for you have taken your power and begun to reign. The nations rage, but your wrath has come. And the time for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and all who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. This is the word of the Lord. So a little over a year, of my, a year ago, a friend of mine was going through her family budget, line by line by line, just assessing where they were, how was money coming in, how was money going out, is there any way that they could trim things off, save a little bit of money? And she noticed with some alarm that there was a repeated withdrawal of 20 bucks about every week or so. Just again, and she didn't know what it was for, and it went to the same place over and over and over again. And she thought, someone's just chipping away at our account. They're not taking enough to really make us notice or panic, but just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. So she called her husband and she said, hey, I need you to check on this because I don't know what's going on with one of our accounts. You need to take a look at it. And he said, sure, I'll take a look at it and we can talk about it when I get home. She said, great. So he walks in the door, he gets home, and she says to him, hey, did you, did you take a look? Did you figure that out? And he went, uh-huh. And she said, 
what is it? He said, well, um, I had my Starbucks card on auto renew, so every time I ran out of money, it just automatically put $20 back on. And they went through and they had found that for over a year, he had been spending almost $100 a month on Starbucks. <laughs> and let me tell you, friends, that conversation in the kitchen was a wake-up call. It was a moment when he realized that he'd kind of fallen asleep. He wasn't paying attention to his behavior and they were not going to achieve their family financial goals if he kept doing what he was doing. There was this wake-up call. In fact, he said to, to me, he said, you've got to help me. I've got to go cold turkey. I've got to cut off the Starbucks. I said, I will be your accountability buddy for that. A wake-up call. Some of you, you have that when you study for the test and you think, oh, it's going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be like high school. I'm totally going to be great. <laughs> and you take the test and you're like, uh, probably a B plus. <laughs> then you get the test back and it's a C minus. It's like, ah, wake up call. The things that I have been doing are not going to get me where I want to go. And sometimes the wake up calls are more substantial. You're dating someone for a while and it's okay, it's not great, but you can't quite put your finger on what it is. Why? You can't, eh, it's just, you can't figure it out. There's just something about this person. And so one evening you go out for a meal and you're sitting across from this person that you've been with now for a few months and the server comes over and instead of bringing the regular fries, she brings the sweet potato fries. And the person across the table from you, this person that you've been dating, this person who for some, you know, for some time you've invested in, this person goes crazy. She begins to berate the food server and question her intelligence and insult her and ask for free things. And you're sitting across the table looking at this person thinking, this is a wake-up call. This is not a person I want to spend any more time with. I need to change. Or sometimes you wake up in a place and you don't know where you are and you don't know what happened the night before and it's not the first time this has happened. but you suddenly realize that it has to be the last. It's a wake-up call. A call that says if you keep living the way you're living, if you keep doing the things you're doing, if you keep choosing the things you're doing, you are not going to be the person you want to be. Revelation 8 and 9, it's a wake-up call. The seven trumpets blow as warnings. The wrath of God is coming, and this is what it looks like. 
It looks like hail, and it looks like darkness, and it looks like locusts, and it looks like your worst nightmare coming true. If you know something about the Old Testament, you may have picked up in Revelation 8 and 9 echoes of the 10 plagues in Exodus. For those of you who don't know that story, the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians and they cried out for relief. And so God sent Moses. And Moses went to Pharaoh, the king of the Egyptians, and he said, hey, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, oh, no. We want to go worship God in the desert? No, no, that's not going to happen. This is my labor force. I'm not letting them go. And so then God sent some plagues. Turns the Nile River to blood, and then there's like, Frogs, and then there's flies, and gnats, and locusts, and darkness, and the final plague. Because Pharaoh, this whole time, has said, no, 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 no. Again and again and again, he has been shown the power of God. He has been shown what he is up against, and he says, no, until the 10th plague. When the firstborn of everyone who does not have the lamb's blood painted over the doorpost is killed. The plagues are echoed here intentionally to show people what the power of God looks like. What does the wrath of God look like? What does it look like when God pulls out all the stops and says, I'm going to show you who I am and what I am capable of? And the goal, just as it was in Exodus, the goal is to turn people's hearts. The goal is to turn toward repentance. That's the goal. And we know that because even in God's justice, even in his judgment, there is mercy. The one evidence of mercy is that there is a group of people who do not experience the wrath of God. Did you notice that? They are the ones who are marked with a seal on their foreheads. And if you were here last week, we learned that the 144,000, those who are marked with the seal, that represents the church of Jesus Christ through all time and place. Everyone who has called on the name of the Lord Jesus are marked with the seal. And they are protected from the wrath of God. The other sign of God's mercy is that he limits the impact of the pain. Did you notice that? It's a third of this and a third of this and a third of this. Do you think that God was like, well, I gotta kind of conserve resources here. Let's do a third here. All the grass can go, but like a third of the trees. <laughs> no, he's doing that because he wants the other people to pay attention. He wants them to have a wake-up call and think the life I have been living is not gonna get me where I need to go. And you could not have created a more nightmare scenario than the descriptions here in Revelation 8 and 9. 
We learned last week that one of Rome's big enemies was Parthia. That the Parthians were, they were able to ride horses and shoot bow and arrow and the Romans weren't so good at that. Well, if you wanted to create a nightmare scenario for anyone who was part of the Roman Empire, you'd be like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna, uh, to have a locust. Uh, we're going to put it in battle armor because everybody knows locusts like go everywhere and they're really annoying. Everybody hates them. And then we're going to give them long hair because the Parthians have long hair. Romans did not have long hair. Barbarians had long hair. And we're going to put them on horseback. Two million of them, which is like a number you just like pull out. Like two million. Like the cavalry is that big. Remember last week we talked about 144,000 and how that was like such a big number in scripture? And I was like, boom, two million. Like an overwhelming amount. Like there is no way you can defend yourself against these locust army creature things. You can't do it. There's no defense against these. And there was a border that most people honored between Rome and Parthia. It was the Euphrates River. So when he says, let those angels go who are standing by the Euphrates, just let them on go, everyone would be like, oh man, this is not going to be good. All of their nightmares come together. What would it look like? You have to understand that these people did not understand astronomy the way we understand astronomy. An eclipse was like, God is judging us all. And so the idea that stars could fall from heaven the idea that hail could destroy everything, this was very real to them. It was like, take all of your phobias, every horror movie you have ever watched or chosen not to watch, and just put it all in one, and that's God coming through and saying, this is a wake-up call. This is who I am. This is what I am capable of. This is what my wrath looks like. So all of this has happened. This nightmare scenario is going on. And we read this really sad verse in chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. The rest of humankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands or give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their fornication or their thefts. And we read that and we think, are you kidding? Like the wrath of God is coming down hard. This is like you couldn't get a louder wake-up call than seven angels blowing seven trumpets, bringing all craziness down on the earth. And really, you're still going to be like, no, I'm good. I'm going to sit over here and worship uh, this basket. Yeah, that's nice. It's orange. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just worship this. That's totally fine. And we read that and we think, Really? The God of heaven and earth has just shaken the foundations of the world and you're like, eh.
But there's really nothing new under the sun, is there? So we do the same thing. In a devotional book that I've been using, this week invited uh, the readers to read the story in the Gospels about the rich young man and Jesus. Some of you know this story. There's this really rich man who goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I want to be on your team. I think you're doing awesome things. I'm in. What do I have to do? Where do I sign up? Where do I get the jersey? I'm excited. And Jesus says, oh, fantastic. Here's what you got to do. No big deal. Sell everything you have. Give the money to the poor. And then come on over. We're in bread or your name right on the back. And the gospel writer says the man went away sad because he had so much. And the question that the book asked was, what are the things that keep you from following Jesus? And it invited you to list them. What are the things that keep you from following Jesus? If you want to come to understand what are the things in your life for which you need to repent, ask that question. What are the things in your life that keep you from following Jesus? Laziness, sloth, greed, pleasure, comfort. Can't get up in the morning. If you want to figure out how close we are to these people, just spend some time right there. But don't stay there. Don't get stuck there. I had a student who came to me this week because there was something churning up in him that he needed to confess. He said, I just need to say this out loud to another person. And so in the campus ministry's offices, we have a, a little litany of confession that we walk through with anybody who comes in our office and just wants to confess. And we remind about the truths of Scripture, or we remind about if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And we went through that, that litany together, and he just felt a load lighter because he had figured out one of the things that was keeping him from following Jesus and he decided to say, I'm not going to let that thing be there anymore. I'm going to name the thing and talk to somebody else about the thing and get rid of the thing. Because a follow-up question to what is keeping you from following Jesus is what attracts you to following Jesus. And what attracts us to following Jesus is that when we read about the wrath of God, and we realize that we deserve it. We remember that Jesus stepped in and took it. The wrath of God. He took it. The judgment of God. He took it for you. 
You know the scene in the garden when he's crying and weeping and he says, Father, take this cup from me. I always thought, I don't really get that. Like, he knows he's going to live again. Like, why is he so upset? Obviously, I'm missing something. And after I spent time with this text and began to study the wrath and the judgment of God and realized how graphic and powerful and painful it was, I thought, oh, Jesus took this on for me. We sing that song. He bore the wrath deserved for me and all I know is grace. What attracts me to following Jesus? Grace. What makes Christianity different from any other religion? Grace. What's the reason we have a building on campus set aside for worship? Grace. Because we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the judgment of God. All those things that keep us from following Jesus, they just hang around and we keep batting them down and we do our very best, but the truth is we are totally depraved and we lived in a totally depraved world and we deserve the wrath of God except for the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. As we say at communion, for the complete forgiveness of all of your sins. Not just some of them. Not just the ones you'll say out loud. All of them. You are forgiven. The wrath of God is satisfied in Jesus Christ. And it's the wrath of God that comes and cleans out the world in an attempt to put things right again. Did you notice something interesting at the very beginning of chapter 8? If you look at 8 verse 3, you have an angel with a golden censer who comes and stands at the altar, and then it says this, he was given a great quantity of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar that is before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And that's what kicks off the blowing of the trumpets. The prayers of the saints. When we cry out, how long, God? How long do I have to carry this betrayal with me? How long will this injustice reign? How long, God, until you come back and put things right? Those prayers are taken together and God says, now. And that's why, did you notice that his name changes in chapter 11, verse 17? We give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, who are and who were. What did we lose? Who is to come. That's because he has begun. 
He has begun to reign. He has begun the work. He has begun to respond to the prayers of the saints who cry out for justice, who say, come Lord Jesus, make your world right. Put it right again, please. Come Lord Jesus. And God says, okay. And the wrath of God cleans things out and begins to make things right again because as much as you hate cancer and you hate racism and you hate sexual abuse and you hate sexual assault and you hate mental illness and you hate thieving and you hate fornication, as much as we hate those things, God hates them more. God hates them more. That's the wrath of God. It is against those who are destroying the earth in any form that it takes. It is against those who promote pornography. It is against those who promote sexual license. It is against those who steal in whatever way it happens. It is against those who kill, as the catechism says, whether that's in thought, look, word, or gesture. Whatever you hate, whatever makes you cry out to God, whatever you ask him to put right, he is more angry about that than we are. And it is that wrath that moves ahead and says, we will clean this out. We will purge this place because there is a new heaven and a new earth that is coming. And evil and good will no longer be tolerated in the same place. And that is why, my friends, we cling to grace. Because without the blood of Jesus Christ, without the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we would probably hit the snooze button on the wake-up call. And so God, through the work of his Holy Spirit, keeps waking us up. He keeps waking us up. And he says, where is the sin in your life? What is it that's keeping you from following me? Where do you and I need to get together? Where does life need to come out of death in your life? Where do you need to wake up? And so as the student who came to my office this week, I encourage you that if you have an area, if you know where God is trying to wake you up, tell someone. Look someone else in the eye and say, this is where I'm hearing the wake-up call. These are the things that are keeping me from following Jesus. And I need your help. And then you bring them to the cross. And you remind them of the blood of Jesus. And you claim the power of the Holy Spirit. And we keep waking each other up. Because I don't know what the end of the world's going to look like. Could look like this. 
probably not. But I know it's going to come. And I want you, and I want me, to be protected. I want you to be with me, sheltered by the blood of the Lamb. I want you to be with me, to be with Jesus. That's why we're here. If there's a reason why you haven't yet chosen to follow Jesus, friends, give it up. Make a commitment. Claim his blood for your sins because that's the only way to the Father. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up.